and kids are dismissed to head out to Bible Adventures. The nursery is also available and, and staffed if you like to take a, a kid there. A couple other things. If you are interested in serving in the Ascensia ministry tonight, you can meet here at the building at 5.30 or meet at the shelter at 6 p.m. We'd love to have you involved and in, in serving in that, especially if you haven't done it before. That would be awesome. Also, at the end of our service today, we have our Board of Trustees election, which is something we do for the state of California every year. It'll be very brief. Jim promises me, so just hold on for a couple minutes uh, after service. This morning I want to talk about some, an idea that I think is, is relatively simple, but something that is, I think, really important for us and something that we don't always do all that well, especially in the U.S. Mandy and I, one of our passions is uh, being able to travel, and we enjoy every couple of years uh, taking a trip to Europe. My sister lives in Switzerland, so it's nice to have a free place to stay that helps out uh, with that, uh, but also just something that kind of what we put our money toward. Um, for a long time I drove a 1998 uh, Ford Explorer, so things like that could happen. I do, basically drove it until it died. Uh, now I drive a, a tin can um, electric car, so um, that is not all that great. One of my friends is like, but the car is so ugly. Why would you get it? I was like, it's just, it's, it's the cheapest one there was. So that's kind of how, how we do it so we can be able to have those opportunities. We really value uh, experiences. And one thing that you learn if you have gotten blessed to travel to Europe, or really any other part of the world, I think, as opposed to ours, like, they really value meals in other parts of the world, like way more than we do. Like for us, it's like, how can you get it as fast as possible and as cheap as possible? That's like the goal. You know, it's like, let me just order five things off the value menu. Let's get on with our lives and get out of here. But if, if you go to certain parts of the world, like in, in Europe for us, it is always interesting to like go to a meal and it's like you get your reservation and it's your reservation for the night, it's not like you have a reservation at 7 p.m. and there's someone at 7.45 and 8. It's, it's like, no, you're kind of expected to sit there and enjoy the evening at that table. And you just talk to each other. I don't know. It's weird. Um, and it, it is a little hard for us the last time we were there because Carter was, was young. And so the, the, I, it's not really fun with a kid having to figure out how to do it and like having to flag down the, the wait staff to, to make that happen. But it's just interesting to see how different people view food. And I think we could learn a lot from that understanding because who you eat with and how you enjoy that time, what you do as you're in conversation in that moment, I think is very, very sacred. In our church, one of the foundational principles, something that I, I will never change as long as I'm here, is that we take communion every single week. It is us gathering around the, the table together and sharing in, in this meal. That's what our faith is, is built on. It's a core foundation of who we are. In fact, in the New Testament, that's the one thing that is told for the Christians to do like consistently. Like, you need, this is what you have to do as you gather. So preachers, we might come and go. Philip reminds me all the time that there's worship leaders in heaven, but not preachers. So I just have a temporary job um, until, until we get there. But communion, gathering on the table is absolutely sacred. It's so important. And I think it's foundational for how we build God's kingdom. So when we talk about building God's kingdom, we can think a little bit overwhelmed about what that 
might be. But as we launch into 2020 as a church, one of the things that we've thought about as as leaders is that in this last year, we thought a lot about our our building and our building space and the fact that we now have more comfortable chairs, which is really nice that you don't sit down and feel like the pew might break under you. It's nice when you're a first-time person, you know, like, oh, is this about to break? What's happening here? And we painted the outside of our building and put up some signage that hopefully is more welcoming uh, to our community. So we thought that building as a noun was a focus for us in this last year. But as we launch into 2020, we want every to be part of building as a verb, that we all collectively are trying to build God's kingdom here. And again, when we think in terms of that, we can sometimes get a little bit intimidated, and you're like, well, I'm not very good at sharing my faith. I don't even know where to begin. What if someone asks me a question that I'm not sure how to answer? You can get overwhelmed thinking about what what does it look like, especially in a world like ours. LA is what would be described as like a post-Christian culture, that it's not the dominant narrative anymore. You can't just assume if you go in the South somewhere still, it's like you can just kind of assume that person's like, which denomination are you? Not, are you going to church at all? But in our world today, in Los Angeles, it's more of that question. And so it can be a little bit intimidating. So what does it look like for us to build God's kingdom here? And in fact, I would argue that perhaps as you look into the life and ministry of Jesus, which we're going to look at today, it might be a little bit easier than we thought. And we might just relieve the pressure on ourselves just a little bit. So a story that is told often to kids in Bible school, and we have a song about it, is in Luke chapter 19. Let me read that for us this morning. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus, as he often is doing, is going from one place to another. So he enters into this town, and as he does this, Zacchaeus, who's this wee little man, a wee little man was he, if you've ever sung um, this song before, um, he goes and he wants to see Jesus, and so he goes up in this tree, and just partly because I think he wants to see him, and also because he doesn't want to bother him that much. Like, he is definitely someone that, if you were him, you wouldn't think that Jesus would want to talk to you or have much relationship with you. So you're just trying to kind of get out of the way, but get a little picture of exactly who this is. And just imagine, this is like that moment in the sermon when someone, like, calls you out, and that's terrible. And I really try not, not to do that, unless it's in a positive way. But he's walking by, and he's like, hey, Zacchaeus. Come down. And Zacchaeus is just like, okay. And he, he comes down. Like, what is this going to be about? What is this for? And Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm coming over to your house. And the people in town, they're not too thrilled with this. If you have any understanding of, of the Bible, you know that tax collectors are the worst of the worst because they were Jewish people who had sided with Rome. And Rome basically said, you can tax people however much you want to, uh, as long as you get us our cut, but you can do whatever you want. 
And so they were traders. They were like making their money off the excess that they were taking from people. And it says about Zacchaeus specifically that he is very wealthy. So he's pretty good at being pretty bad. And then oftentimes when you read in the scriptures, actually, I love it. It describes, um, this doesn't happen in this passage, but oftentimes it says tax collectors and sinners are gathering, which is like the sinners don't even want to be associated with the tax. It's like, let's go somewhere. Like, I don't even want to be associated. Like this group of sinners is like, no, we're not tax collectors at least. So that's the way that they are often described. So just think of like the worst of the worst. And again, I think that sometimes when we think about Jesus, we can think, oh, that's so nice. Like he goes to be with those kinds of people and the downtrodden and those people who you wouldn't expect him to. And we can make this kind of like a cute sentimental thing. Let's put some like language around some people that we would say, whoa, if Jesus like came into town and he went and had dinner with a pedophile or a terrorist, and how would we respond, right? It would be confusing. It'd be like, whoa, that's, that's pushing my limit, my boundary. Like, I understand you're kind of a grace guy, but what does that mean? Are you endorsing all this parts of that person's lifestyle? Like, what is it for you that perhaps is like the worst of the worst, the people that you would say, well, they're clearly outside the kingdom of God. And Jesus is always seemingly going into those kinds of people's homes and spending time around, like, those people. To a point that the religious people are very uncomfortable. Like, what is it, perhaps, that we'd say, those people aren't in, those people are out. So we would think of this as, like, confusing and, and, and scary, and those are the people who we, like, wouldn't associate with. And not only is it that Jesus is doing this, Judaism had actually made some ways why this, like, religiously would have been something that you wouldn't do. At this point, the, one thing that happens throughout Jewish history is the temple gets destroyed, and the Jewish temple is the center of the religion. It's like where you go to perform all the sacrificial acts and do this. So how do you practice the Jewish religion? How do you practice a temple-centric religion without a temple? Like, what are you supposed to do? And so some practical ideas arose out of that. So rabbis would teach that your home becomes the new temple, the space that you have. And in some ways, I think this is helpful and, and healthy. I think we all could see like our lives and our space more in terms of holiness. And so your home was the temple, and then your table was the altar, So who it was that you would have around your table, it was like you were having a worshipful experience with them. You were communing with people who would have like the same ideas as you, the same thoughts as you. This is just what you were supposed to do. So you, as a a rabbi, as a teacher, you should not be caught dead with like those kinds of people. But Jesus is always getting in trouble for this. There's a a preacher who says this this way, it'd be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. 
Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. And I would argue still somewhat this is true today, that if if you are estranged with somebody or you have some issue with them, it's often that we solve these things over food, or maybe in our culture a little more over coffee. Like, we would, you know, let's, let's go and grab some sort of, of nourishment together, and let's talk this out. So I think this is still somewhat true today, but even more in this time and this space. So for Jesus to walk into this town and basically be like, hey, like, worst of the worst, come out of that tree and let's go hang out. And let's go hang out with your friends. Who are Zacchaeus' friends, Right? They're the tax collectors. He's kind of been estranged from everybody else. Like this, this is the space that Jesus seemingly, as you would think about it, should be like uncomfortable in. People who were very much unlike Jesus liked Jesus. And his table is open to people that you wouldn't expect. There's a German theologian named Joachim Jeremias, and he says, the inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in table fellowship is the most meaningful expression of the message of the redeeming love of God. I've heard it said that Jesus was killed because of who he ate with. And I think that's true. Because his table is more open than honestly we would probably feel comfortable with if we were religious people in that time. And it's not only how welcoming he is, just food is so central to the gospel. A few examples, just in the gospel of Luke, here are a few examples of the way that food is portrayed. So Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born in a feeding trough. Chapter 5, dinner at Levi's house. Chapter 7, you just go on and on, and he's just always talking about food. He's like going to meals. He's comparing the kingdom of God to meals. And I noticed this morning that is Luke chapter 24, not 34. My Bible doesn't have 34 chapters in Luke. Just FYI, that's a typo. You're like, what kind of Bible is Brian reading out of? Uh, so this is just like the, just typical gospel. Like Jesus is just, he's going to meals. He's talking about food. Like it's just, he's always doing this. And it isn't just in Luke's gospel. Luke has 50 uh, references to Jesus and food. There are 94 in Matthew. Just it's constantly about food and meals. Uh, there's a scholar on Luke who says in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. Like if you aren't getting hungry reading the gospels, then you aren't reading them right. Because for Jesus, food is central. Thinking about fellowship and who it is that's around your table, it's central. Again, I think we would be better to ourselves if we would recognize the same thing. That who it is that we make time to have around our table is significant and important. What if we could make time for people who were different than us, who had different perspectives than us, who saw the world just a little bit differently? Because it's really hard to hate someone if you have them over for dinner. That's still true today. And what if as we think about building God's kingdom, we didn't think so much about like one day, you know, maybe that person will get baptized. And that would be awesome. That would be fantastic if, you know, you got to know a coworker and they said, no, where is it that you go to church? You're like, I actually have a church. Like, come to mine and come get baptized. That would be awesome, right? That'd be really cool. And we would celebrate that. And that is truly fantastic. But what if our mission in the world is not necessarily to get someone from like A to Z on their faith, 
but to move them from A to B or to move them from L to O. And in an increasingly post-Christian culture, it's hard to tell the story of Jesus. And at times, we think of words like evangelism, and we get, we get nervous. We're like, well, I don't know if I have all the answers. I don't know if this is ultimately going to lead. And so we can think of back in the day how evangelism used to be done, which was basically like, if you died tonight, where are you going to go? And that's not really a good conversation starter anymore. What if instead of thinking like evangelism and conversion that way, what if you just thought, all right, there, there's somebody who I know of in my neighborhood or someone in, in, in my friend group at work, whatever it is, that, you know, I just want to intentionally have them over for dinner in this next year a few times. And just in those natural interactions, in those conversations, my faith is going to come up. And they might not totally agree with it, and they might not at the end of our conversation, you know, come to church with me at, at the end of the year. That might not happen, not happen but I'm going to just try to be faithful with someone, with the story that I think has changed my life. And again, it doesn't have to be rocket science, or you don't have to know all the answers, but I think it's about inviting people around our tables and being intentional about that, showing hospitality in ways that truly change the world. To have conversations where you, you know, talk about deeper things than just the current mood that you have right now. You listen to, to their story. To love the people who are around you in your community well. In First Peter, Peter is writing to early Christians, and he says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And pause right there for a second. Go back for one second. Uh, when we think about love, we would think of all these ways that love is often talked about in church. You know, love is as forgiveness of sins, as forgiving other people, and all of these things that are, are good and helpful ways to understand love. But then it's fascinating what Peter says after he says, okay, do this in, in these big ways, like do this. And then he turns immediately and, and says this, Next slide for me. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like we would think of love in all of these terms, like all these ways, and again, helpful ways. But when he's reaching to say, okay, what does this look like? Offering hospitality. And also don't grumble when you're doing dishes at the end of the night or when they stay a little bit too long. Some of you know some people like that. Or when you're the one who has to constantly do this, yeah, it keeps going. We don't need to do the rest of it. But I just find it interesting that Peter, when he talks about this, this love, what this looks like, his, his first thing is hospitality. Whenever I think about the earliest Christian movement and what that looked like, it's such a miracle that this thing made it out of the first century. We've been studying Revelation in class, and I would totally recommend you come and participate in this. It's been really interesting uh, conversation. And one of the things that Revelation says repeatedly is, especially in chapter 2 and 3, which are letters to early churches, uh, basically says, like, don't give up. You're suffering and you're persecuted, but please don't give up. That's so a miracle that, like, a persecuted, suffering group of people, somehow it made it out of the first century. And people say one of the reasons that it did is because it was just shared from table to table, from home to home. 
you really can't stop a movement. It's like that. What would it look like for you to be a little more open to your table, to be hospitable, to understand that perhaps your role isn't to get someone one day to be baptized, although that would be awesome. That is up to God's work. But what could you maybe be a little bit more intentional about welcoming somebody who, who you just know needs to experience the love of God? To be like Jesus, perhaps, understanding that your mission in the world is to see the meals that you have as sacred moments to connect with some people who you really love and then to show some other people the love that God has for them through special care, through being intentional. There are two statements that are important in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, One of them is in this chapter that we just looked at, the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, He says in, in Luke Chapter 19, verse 10, uh, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is like Jesus' mission, that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And there are, are two statements like this in Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the other one is this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And people assumed he was a glutton and a drunkard because of who he hung out with. And there's one of those moments where tax collectors are taken out of the center conversation. Like, I don't want to be associated with those people. There are scholars who say that Jesus' mission is defined in that statement that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. His mission was that, and his method was eating and drinking. It is mission was to seek and save the lost. His method was eating and drinking. Building God's kingdom might be just a little bit easier than we would think. We all might consider ourselves missionaries. We are in 2020 Los Angeles in a time and place that It's going to take some work. But you all have connections with people that I could never reach. You all have relationships with people that I will never talk to. What would it look like for you to just be a little bit more intentional and to think through that? So my challenge for you coming out of this message as we think about 2020 and what it looks like for us to build this kingdom as as a verb is a couple things. First, I want to make our space, our own place, somewhere that is more hospitable. So I want you to think of someone in our church whom you just want to know to get, get to know better just a little bit by sharing a meal or multiple meals with him or her this year. Just don't look at them right now because that'll be weird. But think of someone that you would just like to get to know. And I, I just have to say that I'm so blessed. I love the, we talked in the fall about the diversity of our church. I'm so thankful for the different stories uh, that we have. I was just talking with um, Jenik, who's just been part of our church. Sorry to Zacchaeus, like, call you out, but uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. I was just talking to her, and uh, she uh, came here from Iran in 1978. 
So she has some unique feelings and perspectives about what's happening right now. And I think oftentimes we don't know each other well enough sometimes. So what would it look like for you to just think of somebody who, you know, you, you see constantly and you're just like, hi, how's it going? And you don't really get a chance. I know on Sunday mornings it's hard and we have other opportunities where you can come and, and fellowship together. But just think of someone specifically that you just say, you know, I'd, I'd like to get to know that person just a little bit better. Because for me, when I share coffee with you guys and share a meal with you guys, it's just always a blessing to spend time getting to know a little bit more of your story and, and where you come from and what that means. And then think of someone who's not part of our church, who you want to share Jesus with through a meal or with meals this year. Just have someone over. Home cook a meal. Share some food. Share a little bit of wine, maybe. Jesus did that, certainly, at least at the wedding. Just think of someone who you know from your sphere of influence that you would just be able to like, have over in your home and just share conversation. Talk about something a little bit deeper than the weather. So I want you, as we launch into 2020, to think about how meals can transform our lives. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the loss, and the Son of Man came eating and drinking because the world changes through fellowship. The story that I think of as I think about my life, and you probably would have a story yourself as you think about your life has been transformed by meals. I've shared before that when I was in, in grad school uh, in Abilene, Texas, which is the middle of nowhere, basically, it's like three hours from anywhere you want to be in Texas. And uh, while I was there, I got asked to come preach a couple times at this church in Opland, Texas, which is 40 minutes outside of Abilene, Texas. So here's a map. Opland, Opland Church of Christ is there on the map. So that's Abilene, and that's Fort Worth over there on the side. That is somewhere that you'd actually want to be. Um, that shows you how, how far uh, it is. And so I, I came and, and preached a couple times at that church, and then they said, well, we'd like to offer you the job. And I said, there's a job? I didn't know there's a job. And they, they said, well, you know, we'd like for you to start to be our preacher. And they had, had a preacher there for 50 years and they asked him to step down because his sermons weren't making sense anymore, apparently. And so they just needed a new preacher. Um, and so I took over after this guy who'd been there for 50 years. It was about eight people all over the age of 60, including one who every Sunday would just stare out the window my entire sermon, which was really insulting. Uh, and it's, it's at least when you guys, there is no windows in here, which is helpful. But if one of you guys is nodding off or looking at your phone, it's like, well, at least not everybody. But it's like one out of eight is kind of bad results. Um, so this was one Sunday that, that Mandy got to go with, with me um, back to Auckland to see me preach, and we had uh, a potluck uh, that day. And I'll always remember there was uh, some really good brisket there. Like, they were really, really good cooks. And uh, I asked, who made this brisket? And someone said, who made the brisket? And then the, from the kitchen it said, Button made the brisket. And I had never met Button before, <laughs> and I had no idea no idea who that was. And just I have to tell you, I didn't have a whole lot in common as a guy who grew up in LA with this group of mostly above 60 people from the middle of nowhere, Texas. I didn't have a whole lot uh, in common with them. Here's another picture with me and, and Doug, one of my favorite people holding his armadillo uh, out, out in the garage. Doug, Doug was great 
he just would wear a different color coverall every week. He would just wear, sometimes it was orange, sometimes it was red, sometimes it was green for the Christmas spirit or whatever, and he would just kind of uh, cycle through that. And so there wasn't a whole lot that I had in common with Doug my first Sunday um, that I was there, or most of the people uh, in that church. But here's a picture of a, a larger group of the church. This is actually a picture that I took, and you can see that, yeah, there's Doug in his red one. Uh, you, can, you can see that uh, it's several older people, but also a few young people as well. When I was in school, going to school, I would just invite people to come out to, to church with me, and eventually that group of those young people, they would come out with me every week uh, because they realized it was, that was where the good food was, basically. Like this, <laughs> this group, we would, we would have brisket, we would have all this, this great food, and what started as a group of about eight people ended up as a group of about 16 when, when I left. And it was just awesome to see how sitting around a table having meals every week with people can unite people of all different kinds of backgrounds. People from different places, people who had very different views on the world. Bible class was always dangerous because they would throw out examples. I was like, I don't think that's very Christian, but let's talk about that later. Uh, but I, it, was, it was a transformative experience where I learned that we can have some disagreements and still love each other and, and learn from each other. I'm thankful for the ways that those meals transform my experience with that group of people. I think we got to be careful with who it is that we invite around our table. And not in like a scared way. But we got to be careful that we don't just have liberal-minded people around our table. Or just conservative people around our table. Or just people of our background and culture. Or just people of our age. Unfortunately, it seems like we are just increasingly in a world where you just see the world the way it is, and then you're just kind of pigeonholed into seeing it even more of that way. May we recognize that meals still transform the world. And we serve a Savior who came into the world eating and drinking. And he changed the world, and his disciples changed the world, and for 2,000 years, the Christian church has continued to change the world one table at a time. As you think about this next year, I don't want to make this too big or too vague. Just think of someone in our church who you would like to get to know a little better, who, you'd like to, who you would want to be hospitable towards and welcome that person, that family into your home. You will be blessed by that. Think of someone in your sphere of influence who you know from work or from your neighborhood. Have them over for a meal. And again, this might not lead to a conversion. At the end of it, that's fine. But what part could you play in showing them the love of God through the openness of your table? Because Jesus got killed because of who he hung out with and who he shared meals with. Because our meal times are sacred, special. I hope we don't ever just eat with those people who are just like us. Let's take 
the revolutionary way that Jesus saw these and used these times to change the world. Let's pray together. Father, as, as we think of something even as, as simple as a meal, may we recognize what it means that you came into the world to seek and save the lost and that you did it eating and drinking. Father, may we, through the openness of our tables to the people in our church, the people that we know otherwise, may we use those spaces to transform the world. May we show hospitality and love and graciousness to people who need it. Your son, Jesus, in my prayer. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. We'll be singing the song, Alive in You. And I hope as we think about our meals, we think that we are alive in Christ. The way that we see everything, including food, changes because of who Jesus is. Let's worship together.